everyone. My name is Kent Graves. This is my wife, Brittany Graves. <laughs> this is Bennett James Graves. This is our little boy. Uh, me and my wife have been coming here for a while. We got married on this very stage, and uh, Brittany's going to read. It's going to be Acts 4, 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the ability to gather here as a church. We don't have to fear any, uh, any retribution, any persecution. Uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, across the world or neighboring countries even that don't have that luxury. Um, thank you for uh, this church body, the leadership of this church, and the, the faithfulness that is provided. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning on this warm Sunday morning. Uh, Acts 4, I uh, hope you have turned there by now, Acts chapter 4. Uh, we will be finishing up uh, this chapter, or this section, uh, the, the scene uh, of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Uh, and then we have uh, two more weeks in chapter 4, and then we'll get to chapter 5. And so, uh, a couple of things. First of all, Luke uh, this morning is at Roseland Park Baptist Church. I think that's down in Picayune. Uh, he's preaching there. Uh, actually, their first service was at uh, 8.30. Then he'll preach again. Uh, he's probably already preaching again by now. Uh, but anyway, so lift him up. I think tonight he will be at Highland Baptist Church uh, uh, speaking at an ordination service. So he asked us to lift him up. Um, both uh, this morning and this evening. Uh, and so uh, I've been making some jokes, and this is kind of a segue into, uh, and so it seemed like everybody over the past couple weeks, like our, our whole church caught Omicron. Uh, and so, uh, which in retrospect is a good thing. You know why? Because that means for the next 90 days, we all should be here. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and the reason that's important is because uh, in February, February 16th, uh, so Mark it on your calendar. I'm asking you as your pastor, if you're a church member here at Cross Point or want to be a church member at Cross Point, uh, to, to go ahead and mark off February the 16th to the first 
uh, week of March. It's important for us to be here as we kind of lay, walk through what membership looks like and, and things like that. And so it's a, good, it's, a, it's a turning point for us and where we're headed as a church. And so go ahead and mark that down, write it down. And uh, if at all possible, make sure that we're, we're all here, commit to those, those days. But, but like I said, don't, COVID cannot be the reason because we got antibodies. Uh, I'm picking, I'm picking. Uh, anyway, so uh, in Acts chapter four, uh, the, the text that Brittany just read last week, if you weren't here with us, we, we kind of set it up and Peter and John in chapter three had healed a lame man uh, who had been, as, as we read this morning, that he is over 40 years old, the man had been lame. And, and because of this, uh, the, the priests who had finally got their shot to serve in the temple, uh, they and the priests were on like a rotation. There was many orders of priests and uh, the, the opportunity for a guy to be able to serve in the temple came like once in a lifetime. They, was, like, their names were drawn uh, by lot, by chance, if you will. And so uh, this dude finally had his opportunity to be in the temple and Peter and John come mess up his day. Uh, so you have that guy, then you have the, the, the captain of the temple guard who was like second in charge in the temple. Uh, his main job is maintaining order uh, and they're causing a ruckus, they're healing a lame man. Uh, and then you have uh, the Sadducees that were there, they're more of a political political body that really were really close with Rome, but their main thing was maintaining status quo, make sure Rome doesn't get upset, nothing happens, nobody's raising up, rebelling against everything, and as long as they did that, then they were able to keep what they had. They were able to keep their power uh, in in Jewish life. And so now you have these two dudes coming in, raising a guy who's been uh, lame his whole life, uh, and uh, it's an uproar. So they move in quickly, they seize, they come upon Peter and John, they uh, decide to arrest them, and then they bring them before a group called the Sanhedrin, which was like the Supreme Court of Jewish life, right? Like they were both Congress and Supreme Court. Like they, they, were, they were the end-all, be-all for the, they were... They were powerful, right? And so they sit in a semicircle. So I, I'm trying to set up the scene uh, again for us this morning so that when we get to this point, uh, if you weren't here last week, you'll see kind of what's going on. And so there were 71 plus one being the high priest uh, that, that kind of sat in a semicircle. And there was a custom in the Old Testament that, and we see it in Deuteronomy, that if someone, a dreamer of dreams or someone comes and works a sign and wonder, uh, and what, what the Sanhedrin, what the people are supposed to do is to bring them in front and question them. And they're trying to determine, is this, is this person trying to lead us away from God or leading us to God? You see that in Deuteronomy. So that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter four. They're bringing Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin. And what they're trying to get is trying to show people is that they're pointing people away from God. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, begins to speak and actually turns the tables on them and actually says, hey, you missed the one that, that God sent. Uh, the, the, very, the, the stone that you, the builders, rejected, God's made the cornerstone. And so, uh, but in him, in his name alone, the powerful name of Jesus, can man be saved, that we must be saved, that no one comes to the Father except through this Jesus. And so he, he, he preaches, he, he defends with, with beauty because the feeling of the Holy Spirit this beauty, this defense of, of, of Old Testament and, and to where they were now, a very eloquent, if you will. And so when we get to this part of chapter four, uh, the trial's done, if you will. Now it's time for a verdict. And so how I want to break up this text is I want to break it up like this, that we see, first of all, we see the evidence there. And then we see the deliberation 
Uh, we see the warning, uh, and then we see their response, and then the release. And so we'll kind of go scene by scene through this text, and we'll dive in as we go. First of all, the evidence. Uh, the evidence at this trial of Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin. We see this in verse 13 and 14. It says, now when they, they being the Sanhedrin, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Uh, so they saw their boldness, and it says, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. And so in this 13 and 14, there are four undeniable realities present. So in the Sanhedrin where they're trying to, they're, they're in a dilemma, we'll get to it in a little bit, where they're trying to ultimately stop this before it nip it in the bud, there's four things they can't deny. The first one is that these men, the boldness of Peter and John, it says they, they saw the boldness of, of Peter and John. And I think it's important for us to remember who this Peter guy was, Right? Because we've been in Acts long enough and seen like hero Peter. Hey, a couple chapters before this, this same Peter was this guy that was denying Jesus to a little girl. Right? So we get, I want you to follow this progression. Like this is the same Peter that when, when Jesus was about to die, it was like, I don't know this guy. I was so scared that a little girl asked him. He's like, no, 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 I don't know this guy. This same Peter is now standing before the Supreme Court saying, you missed him. All right, so the boldness, the passion that Peter and John had, they couldn't deny that, right? They could not, they may not believe what they're saying, but they couldn't deny their commitment and their boldness. The second thing is that they were uneducated common men. That was an undeniable reality. And why that's important is because really that terminology means untrained. So they're, they're in the temple, standing in front of these Sadducees, that, I mean, the, the Sanhedrin that was really made up of, of scribes as well, which was like the, the bookworms, the people who, who, who knew and could, and could can, can talk beautifully and uh, unlike me, because I can't get words out. Yes. Uh, and so now you have these untrained men who are standing in the highest court and beautifully defending themselves through the Old Testament of what God has done in Christ. What it's showing is that he was filled with the Spirit. It was undeniable that Peter was being used by, like they, they, there's this guy who has no qualifications to be doing what he's doing, but he did it and we, we have nothing. The third undeniable truth is that they had been with Jesus. Look at that, verse 13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated men, uh, uneducated common men, they were astonished. And this is cool, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, there's been a lot of things that people accuse me of. Like <laughs> this guy, was like, how many times have they said, yeah, I, I could tell you've been with Jesus, right? I, as I was reading this, I was like, <laughs> Man, they say that about me, right? They, they literally just by, by how Peter and John conducted themselves and how they articulated and how they, they stood their ground that they, they realized, hey, these, what the, the Sanhedrin realized, hey, these guys have been with Jesus. Really, their worst nightmare is happening again because the same thing that they were teaching and preaching is the same thing that Jesus was teaching and preaching. 
Uh, and matter of fact, just like Jesus oftentimes accompanied his teaching with some miraculous sign, they were doing the same thing. But this time they were actually preaching a resurrected Jesus like their worst nightmares is happening, right? But they, they could tell that they had been with Jesus. And by the way, the, the things they were doing and the things that they were saying, they knew that they were in communion with Jesus. And the fourth undeniable reality was that there was the lame, the, the man who was lame was healed was standing there. So here you have these 72 awesome leaders, if you will, these powerful guys who want to stop this thing from going if they can nip it in the bud, right? If they can nip it in the bud, then they don't have to fear anything. But they see two guys who were passionate, bold about what they believed in, who were filled with the Spirit and spoke as one who was led, that, that they, they sounded and looked like they had spent time with Jesus, and there was the actual, they, they did it, and actually Scripture says in verse uh, 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, check this out, and they had nothing to say in opposition. Isn't it crazy the, the accuser has nothing to say while the accuser is the one that's actually doing the talking? Uh, that that they, they had nothing. And here's what's beautiful. It's actually a fulfilled promise from what we see in Luke 21. Verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. But check out what he says in verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. 14, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. Pause for a moment. And so... If, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it. So settle in your minds, therefore, not to meditate on beforehand how to answer. Verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, uneducated common man. He says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So it's the very thing that Jesus has just told him about in the gospel of Luke. Listen to me. They, this is going to happen to you. And listen to me, don't even meditate beforehand about what to say because when that time comes, I will give you wisdom. Like I will be to you wisdom. What do we see in Peter? Not just a guy who's slapping his jaws. It's a guy who, who speaks in wisdom, but he was uncommon and I mean, he was common and untrained. He didn't have the, the accreditation or the ability to stand there. But what happened is that Jesus gave him wisdom via the Holy Spirit able to articulate. So much so that the thing says that they had nothing. Here are these four undeniable realities in the Sanhedrin who liked to talk, couldn't talk at all. Exactly what Jesus had told them what happened. Now, side note here. We cannot, as, as, as followers of Jesus, we're called to, to share the gospel, to look for opportunities to witness. We cannot use this verse as an excuse not to read our Bible, by the way. Like just a side note there. This is like, unless we're being brought before the Supreme Court. Uh, and so, uh, but listen to me. This, uh, so this, what this means is, is that in this special moment, that, not that God doesn't give us the words to say, we can all agree to that, but this is not a, uh, an opportunity to be lazy. It's, but it, what we do see is that whenever, actually, let me read my points. First, first truth is be bold and trust God. Right, And so in our culture today, that's very hard. 
Because be bold may cost us something. Be bold is not the most popular thing to do. But there was something that was undeniable is that Peter actually believed what he was saying. Like Peter actually believed that in Jesus and Jesus alone, man must, man must be saved. Like Peter actually believed that and he was going to stand his ground. Even if it was a life, by the way, if you didn't get last week, if the Sanhedrin would have been able to find that these guys were turning people away from God, Scripture actually tells them they should be killed. And so this is a life or death situation for Peter and John. But they believe so much that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way man can be saved is they were bold. And they trusted God on the other side of it. Even if, even if not, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego type stuff, like even if not, I'm still going to say Jesus is the only way. Second thing is, this is good, and we see this in them is that Wherever God leads, he goes. Wherever God leads, he goes, right? So evidently, Jesus knew that this was going to happen to these apostles, that they were going to be brought in front of the Sanhedrin, so much so that he told them it was going to happen. But what do we see whenever they're standing in the middle of this semicircle? What happens? God's there with them, gives them wisdom, enables them to stay bold. And child of God, listen to me, wherever God leads, he goes, he doesn't just send us off and tell us on this, this all right, I'm calling you to do this or I'm leading you to do this and just sends us on our way by ourselves. So you need to know that if you feel God calling you, leading you somewhere, he also goes with you. Like he doesn't leave you. He doesn't just say, all right, do it on your own. So whatever that thing is, it could be as small as making a phone call to somebody you haven't talked to because you got in an argument to something great like going to, Share the gospel with your boss. Like wherever God's leading you, he also goes with you. Like he, he's there to be uh, your power and strength in those times. The, the third truth that we see just in this, this first part is that effectiveness for Jesus is inseparable from time with Jesus. And what, 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 do they re- what do they recognize that these dudes have been with Jesus? And that from their time with Jesus, effectiveness just flowed out of that, right? As they spent time with Christ, as they communed with Jesus, man, people noticed it. Adrian Rogers used to always say, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. And what, and what, and what he meant by that is that ultimately is that we can preach at people all we want, right? We can preach at people all we want, but what was it that was undeniable? Not just the words that these guys are saying, but just how they work. Man, these guys have been with Jesus. The fourth thing is our testimony is our greatest gospel presentation. What was the undeniable, the greatest undeniable truth? Is that dude had been lame for 40 years and now he's standing up on his feet. That could not be denied. The work that God had done could not be denied. I want you to hear me say that. The work that God has done in your life, how you, your conversion story, what God has done in your life is your greatest gospel presentation. What, what, 
what, what speaks to the power of Jesus more than seeing a guy who was lame who's now standing or a man who once lived a selfish life who was all about himself, but Jesus changed me and now I don't live for myself anymore. What, what, what greater picture of the gospel message is saying, I once was this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am now. That's what it means, but that's your greatest gospel presentation. You're a demonstration of what the gospel has done. And that's what we see is that there's, there's things that they cannot deny. So what we see in 15 to 17 is they send them out and they, it's time to, to deliberate. So the deliberation. So check out verse 15. So, so when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Uh, and saying, what shall we do with these men for this note, for that a notable sign has been performed through them and it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. It says, verse 17, in order that it may not spread no further among the people, let us warn them to, to, uh, warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they, they send them out. Time of questioning is done and now they send them out so that they can talk among themselves and they're at a loss. The Sanhedrin, these 72 guys, they, they were at a loss to what to do with these, with these guys. It says, what shall we do with them? Right? What shall we do with them? Because they're really messing things up. And the reason why they were in a dilemma is, first of all, they haven't done anything wrong, uh, Peter and John. But if they don't act, then they risk losing their power. But if they act too harshly, they lose the favor of the people. And so they're in a dilemma about, all right, what are we supposed to do with these guys? We, we have nothing, we, have, we don't know what we can do. So they, they're sitting there trying to deliberate and check out, it says that there was a notable sign. This healed man was a notable sign. And the end of verse 16 could be the saddest part of this whole thing. It says, and we cannot deny it. I wrote it down like this. They couldn't deny it, but they still chose to reject it. Isn't that sad, a sad moment right there? Doesn't it just, it opens up the blindness of the human heart to us? Like, you want to see depravity, the deadness of man in sin? You see, these guys see these passionate guys who had been with Christ, there's a man who is lame, but now is healed. Their eyes take it in and their hearts go, but I still don't want it. So living illustration of John chapter 3, 19 says, and this is judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because they, their works were evil. Truth. And this is what we see here is that the first thing is that it goes to the, to the last truth that we had is that the enemy cannot deny what God has done in your life. He may not like it, but he cannot deny it. Second truth, and this is maybe hit too, too close to home for you, that but rejection of Jesus isn't from a lack of information about Jesus. If you're under the sound of my words, your rejection of Jesus is not because there's a lack of information about Jesus. 
If, if you sit in church service, I just, I need to know, I need to know more. Listen to me. You have, God has revealed to you all you need to know to believe in Jesus. And their rejection of Jesus wasn't because they didn't have all the information. There were four undeniable truths right in front of them. Yeah, they still chose to reject it. Third is that sin blinds us. It's what we see here until God opens our eyes. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them uh, from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Uh, scripture paints the picture of, of our lostness as our eyes have been veiled. They've been scaled over, if you will. And we're blind to, to the things of God. We're blind to seeing the gospel. This, but check out in Acts chapter six, this is whenever the gospel is going to the Gentiles. It says, and delivering you for, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Check out why Paul is being sent there is to, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness and light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The reason why he was being sent to the Gentiles is so that God would open their eyes. So here's the last truth. Here's our prayers that we pray that God opens the eyes of the lost. Because here's a, just a core truth that we believe is that we cannot open the eyes of the blind. There's no sermon that I can preach. There's nothing that Justin can do on his own to open the eyes of someone's heart to trust in Jesus. Only God can do that. So we pray, God, open the eyes of the lost. Because here we see, guys, undeniable truths. They couldn't deny it, yet they still chose to reject it. And that's why you, maybe, you're, maybe this is your story, that you heard the gospel over and over and over again, and then eventually it just snapped and you trusted. What happened? God opened your eyes to see. So we see the deliberation, and so... They decide in verse 17, we're going to tell them not to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they, they bring them back in in verse 18 and they give them their warning. Here's their warning, which is kind of funny. Uh, but it says, but they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. All right, here's Peter and John who, who haven't backed down yet. And so they call them in. This is how they had nothing on them. So they say, all right, well. And actually, in the language, how it's written, it's like they didn't even make eye contact with Peter and John. They just kind of flippantly said it when they came back. All right, well, we can't teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Like they had nothing. There was nothing they could do or say. And so they said this, all right, don't do this anymore. They, uh, they charged them. It means to order. And really, the reason why they did this is just to set a precedence that if they were disobeyed, that eventually they could have harsher punishment. That's really what they're doing here. So don't do this anymore. And it's like, I've told you this now. So if you do it again, I can really get on to you. That's really the only thing they're doing. So they give them this, don't preach in Jesus's name. This exclusive name, don't preach in it. It causes too much trouble. And we see the enemy is resisting uh, what's going on. And so true there is to expect resistance when it comes to Jesus. People don't necessarily love it, but now check out their response. So here's what we're going to do. Just don't talk in Jesus' name anymore. And then Peter and John answer them. So they're answering in unison here. 
and they actually kind of sarcastic at the front, the beginning. Whether it's right for in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, again, it's who's turning who from God. That's ultimately what he's saying. Remember, their whole, the whole reason they're before the court is because there are these people leading people to God away from God. And so Peter answers, so, so you're telling us we should listen to you instead of God. Who's really turning somebody from God? Is it me or is it you? That's what, he's, that's what that question is actually saying. And so, but check out what he says. He says, for we cannot speak. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And here, Peter puts his foot down and says, hey, do to us as you wish, but my conscience is bound by the things I've seen and I've heard. And it's, I think this is, you know, I think it's important for us to talk about this right now as a church. You know, as, as Christians, we are, we're called to obey the government, to be model citizens, to be good citizens, right? And first Peter, Peter actually writes this later in his life. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should be put, you should be, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover up for evil living as servants to God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Biblically speaking, we are called to obey our government, to be model citizens. But there are limits to that obedience. And Peter shows us what they are. Anytime the government tells us to not do things that God commands or to do things that God forbids is whenever we do not obey our government. And I'm not, I'm not about to get political, so don't worry. Justin, this is, we don't, what I'm saying, what we're seeing here with Peter is, hey, I will be a, he actually himself writes later to be a model citizen. But as soon as the government tells me that I can't speak about the name of Jesus, then I got to disobey the government. I got to disobey the Sanhedrin who is telling me, hey, you can't do this anymore. And he says, hey, I've got to. I can't help but not to. I've got to speak these things. They knew they knew that Jesus had told them to share this message. And in order for, if they were to not do this, they would be disobeying the very command that Jesus had given them. They couldn't but speak of the things what they had seen. They, they had seen Jesus. They had seen his life, his, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They, they, those things were burned in their mind that they couldn't but not speak of those things. And the things they heard, but also the the forgiveness they had experienced, the acceptance into the family of God, all of these things, Peter and John says, I don't care what you do. We can't stop speaking in the name of Jesus. The truth this morning is that we honor the emperor, but we serve Jesus. Child of God, we definitely living in America. Make sure we're always checking ourselves that we're serving Jesus. Not our political party that lines up greatest with us. Or the certain agenda that we have or the certain thing that we really believe in. We serve Jesus. We're his. He has bought us with a price and now my allegiance goes primarily to him. 
second truth here is that the most worshipful thing you can do is be obedient. You've heard me say that many times. We, 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 we you know, we, and I'm thankful for Daniel and his team, and they spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, hours up here to, for these worshipful experiences. And we all chase, you know, I really want to meet with God and I want to worship God. I want, I want that feeling where I'm lifting my hands and, you know, that kind of a thing. And we, we, what happens is we, 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 we kind of box in worship to this 30-minute time slot on a Sunday morning, which is a part of worship. But the way that you and I worship God the most is being obedient to what he calls us to do. By, me, by, by us yielding ourselves to his leadership, the way that is worship is because what we're saying is you are worthy of, of my life. You are worthy of my day. You are worthy of the words that I speak. You are worthy of the decisions that I make. You are worthy of the reactions, how I react. You are, you are worthy of these things. You are, you are worthy of me sacrificing even my pride to go walk across the aisle and shake somebody's hand and invite them to lunch. You're worthy. Listen to me. God is most worshiped in our lives and we just simply say, yes, God. For when he calls us to obey him, and that's what we see here with these guys is that they were in a life or death situation. They understand that they, they had to obey what their, their master had called them to do. I had to put this quote on there, Agent Rogers. Uh, a Christian who doesn't witness is a contradiction in terms. Is what we see here. Hey, listen to me. <laughs> I've got to. <laughs> like, the, literally, what it, what it means to be a Christian is, is to be a witness. And, and, and if, if we call ourselves a Christian and we, we don't share our faith boldly, then we're, a, we're an oxymoron. We're a walking contradiction because, by definition, we're witnesses. And what we see here is these guys who are bold in the face of adversity, and they, they boldly proclaim that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, and you were not going to shut their mouth. That's why it doesn't take but a, another chapter in the back before these guys again. Lastly, we see them get released. And so, verse 21 says, when they further threaten them, and so they kept going, all right, don't do this anymore. I'm sure they were shaking their little fingers at them. Don't do this anymore. Don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. You cannot do this. When they had threatened them more, they let them go. But check this out. The reason why they let them go says, finding no way to punish them because of the people. Why did the Sanhedrin let Peter and John go? Because they chose that we don't want, our, we don't want these people to not like us anymore. It was not because they wanted justice, it was because they wanted, it was a political move, that there wouldn't be an uproar. And I'm telling you, there's darkness that you see in these guys' hearts. So they, they let them go. And it says, because the people, of the people, for all were praising God for what just happened. Hey, I just felt led to say this this morning, and I know I've got truths all over the place, but when you're doing narratives like this, you just kind of have to go wherever you see a truth, say it. And so that's what, that's what we're doing. And so God moved and the people praised God. In our culture, definitely with 
social media and stuff like that, and this, how our culture has so infiltrated the church. And what happens is, is like churches are built on the personality of one man or one guy. And what happens is, is that that, that attention goes to the one who's preaching or the one who can sing the best. What, what we see in this text is that when God moves, it results in praise of God. So if you're listening, you're following, and it smells fishy, it's probably a fish, right? If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're listening to someone or you're seeing like, yeah, God's been moving, God's been moving, but man's getting the glory, get out of that. Like the Holy Spirit should go, hey, this is not of God because God is the one that gets the praise when God moves. God's about his own glory, right? God's about himself, to make much of himself. And, he, he, and he's, he's wise beyond all. And whenever he moves, he does it in the destination that himself will receive glory. So that, that's just like, like real life, listen to me. If, it, if it's pointing to man, it's not of God. So child of God, the things that you're listening to, the things that you're allowing yourself to sit under, if it's leading you to worship a man, stop listening to it and stop reading it. I just, pastor dad moment, like get out of that because it points back to God. And then Luke strangely just ends it like this. For the man whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Why does he have to put the date there, or the age there? Because this man, by the age of 40, everyone would believe, like it was like cultural, at the age of, after the age of 40, if you're, if you're still you won't be healed. It's a hopeless situation. This man was beyond even people thinking that he would ever walk. No one is beyond grace's reach. And many of you sitting in these chairs this morning are proof of that. All right? And when I say many of you, I mean all of us. But some of us just feel it a little bit more than others. All right? Some of us have a great realization of how lost and hopeless we were. That we were beyond beyond a chance. We made we made mistake after mistake for over forty years for some of us. Our situation was hopeless, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's an undeniable truth. Hey. You are the greatest gospel presentation for what sharing with others what God has done. Because nobody can deny that. People can argue with you about eschatology. People can argue with you about inerrancy of scripture. People can argue with you about this, that, and the other, but they cannot argue with what God has done in your life. It is our greatest gospel presentation. I need you to believe that. 
I need you to believe that if God leads you somewhere, he's gonna go with you. I need you to believe that if, if God leads you somewhere, that he will give you the words to say to someone. And that God can and will use any of us. These men were uncommon, un, I mean, they were common and untrained. But by the grace of God, they spoke even greater than these guys who were trained. Believe that, child of God, that you, your story is your story. It's his story in your life. And don't let the enemy rob you of thinking that that isn't valid. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church your whole life or you made a shipwreck of your life and then God saves you. Matter of fact, if you, if you became a believer at a young age and you've been faithful, man, your story's way more impressive than mine. You follow me? Because I... <laughs> I didn't always make the right choices, right? Didn't always walk with the Lord, if you will. And so don't let the enemy say, your stories. No, listen to me. It's your story, how God has saved you and sustained you and sanctified you through the years. But if you're on the other side of that, hey, your story is the way that God has saved you, sustained you, and sanctified you. Trust in that. Believe in that. Be bold and trust God. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for the story of, the, of Peter and John boldly proclaiming in the face of serious life or death consequences, God, that they said we cannot but speak. Yeah, I pray for the same boldness for each one of us God, Peter and John are not the the heroes of the story. They're not the one that this story points to. It points to you and your faithfulness to them. God, you've called them somewhere and you were with them. That you gave them the words to say, God, that you gave them a way to defeat their enemy, to to silence the enemy. God, that you used them to, to heal the lame man. God, it's all about you. So God, We don't worship Peter and John. We worship Christ. So God, give us boldness. Give us wisdom. God, may we live as if we truly, really do believe in Christ and Christ alone. May we live in such an urgency that we boldly proclaim Jesus to those around us. God, as we, as we do that, God, we pray that you open the eyes of the blind spiritually. You open the eyes of those who don't know you that they will trust in you. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning who hasn't experienced this life-changing grace, this gospel. God, that I pray that today your Holy Spirit would illuminate their hearts, that they may see Jesus and trust in Jesus and believe in him. In his name we pray. Amen. You can stand and, hey, if you're here this morning and say, Justin, I need to trust in Jesus this morning. I want to place my faith in him. I want to invite you to 
to come down front. I'll be standing down here. Just come and grab me and say, hey, I want to trust in Jesus. If you need to use this altar as a prayer, a place to pray, you, you can do that as well. But the song we're about to sing, So Will I, is, hey, I'm not going to not talk about Jesus. I'm going to speak of Jesus.